Yo, what up, Slashers and Survivor Girls? Welcome to another edition of Creepy Real Horror Cast. I'm Mistress Meg. I'm that good, but I don't folks. And here we are, nearing the end of our Halloween review series. We got, what, three more? Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. We're almost there. We're almost there. This is the light at the end of our tunnel. It's coming. <laughs> Once Halloween ends drops, we'll be there. Halloween finger wiggle ends. Yeah, in air quotes. We don't know what ends, but something will end. That movie will end. <laughs> there will be credits. That trilogy will end. And then someone goes, oh no, shit, we need more money. <laughs> and Isn't that always the way with these it's films, It's usually though? what happens. At some point, they go, hmm. Yeah. What's a quick cash grab? Who's a who's an up-and-coming director? Hey, let's give it to him. Yeah, like, let's just drag a slasher <laughs> series out of mothballs. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Myers versus... Freddy vs. Jason featuring Leatherface. <laughs> refereed by Ash Williams. That would be boss. I know there's a comic out there, but... Yeah, it was Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash. Yeah. And Pinhead is the ring uh, the ring announcer. He's wearing a ref jersey. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, he can wear his leathers. He'll just be standing there with the microphone. No, it'll be his leathers, but it'll be like the black and white stripe. No, like. no, no, no. You'll have them all in the ring, and the leather face will be in the middle. The microphone drops down. You stepped in the box. I came. <laughs> oh, yeah, again, anyway. I, don't, I don't understand why we're not making money. I'm saying. Why am I so broke when I have all these ideas? Absolute gold. Yeah, I'm just, I got sense coming out of my brain. It's all craziness. Um, but unfortunately, we're still, well... Not unfortunately, I have to say. No, we're still doing the Halloween series. Um, but we're getting into the good stuff. Uh, for well, those... <laughs> you know, your, uh, your mileage may vary, but hey. Mileage you know. may vary, but as far as I'm concerned, we're getting into some of the really good stuff. Um, this week, we're doing Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. And for those of you going, hey, wait a minute. There's a number missing in there. You're skipping. <laughs> You're skipping one, Missy. You bunch of rascals. Well, it's because we did that one last year. Yep. So, go on through the back catalog. Uh, I think it was last summer we did it. Yeah, not only did we do a standalone episode for that one, we actually did, we added it into our ranking, so it's kind of like we did that one twice, so piss off. That's not nice. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm cranky. Cranky, cranky pants, lunchbox. I love you guys. I'm sorry. Shame. <laughs> but no, still, it's like yeah, yeah. We we did it twice. We're we're good to go. And uh, and yeah. our thoughts haven't really changed much on it. No, at all. I know mine haven't. Hundred percent not. Like I actually went back and listened to our ranking episode, and I agreed with everything that past lunchbox said. Hundred mm. percent. Yeah. Indeed, and that was two. The ranking episode was two years ago. Yeah. So uh, once we get to the end of this one-by-one one version of it, we're going to do a ranking reboot because I think our thoughts have changed on a lot of them. Yeah. 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 I think some things have shifted around a little. Uh, plus, we'll have two more movies to throw in the mix. Yeah. Uh, well, because did we do uh, the Halloween 2018 yes. in that, too? Halloween I can't remember if that, that was, was in there. Yeah. That, was, that had already come out. So, actually, that was our number one. That's right. It was. And that was our number one for that ranking. Which is very bizarre because the rankings were a mixture between both of our scores. Yep. 
And I'm actually going to have to go back. I have it written out on, like, the Excel spreadsheet, but I'm going to do, like, a side-by-side of all the actual rankings for our episodes, plus the ranking episode... Where it fell in the list. Where that fell, and then that way we could redo it again, because it's... Well, you're going to have to send me the Excel spreadsheet anyway, because I have to do all the math and... But yeah, Actually but it's list. still, it's funny, um, during the, the rankings episode, I remember you were saying in one, I think it was in, I think it was like four, in part four, that mask was ten times worse than the one in five. It was weird, it was yeah, like, but then like you came around, and it's like on this time around, you're like, nope, flip that. <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah I don't. I don't know what I was smoking on that one um, because present Meg disagrees with past Meg, but we'll get into that in a few weeks. Yeah, when we do the ranking. Um, until then, Rob Zombie's Halloween sequel dropped August twenty eighth, two thousand nine. It was made for a budget of approximately fifteen million dollars and ended up grossing thirty nine point four million worldwide. So it did fairly well. It was pretty good for a zombie movie. Yeah, it was written and directed by Rob Zombie. <laughs> Boy. Uh, really? Yeah. I'd never guess. It stars Sherry Moon Zombie as Deborah Chase <laughs> Wright. If, if she's not in one of his movies, I'd be very concerned. Same. <laughs> I'd be concerned for their relationship. Yeah, their relationship, uh, her health, exactly. who knows. Chase Wright Vanek as young Michael, so Michael, little Michael was recast because at this point, Dave Ferch, who played him in the first movie, was two years older, well over six feet tall, and had the voice of a lumberjack. I remember, um, so it was like shortly after that, we went to Spooky Empire and he was doing a, a signing and I remember I was like, holy shit. Yeah, he stood up out He's of his chair. He's huge! Yeah, massive. <laughs> um, Scout Taylor Compton as Lori, Brad Dorif as Sheriff Brackett, um, Caroline Williams as Dr. Maple. I love that they snuck in a st- scream queen there. Yep. Malcolm McDowell as Samuel Lewis. Loomis. <laughs> Try that again. Tyler Maine as Michael Myers, um, Richard Brake as Gary Scott. He was a coroner. It was a small part um, by Octavia Spencer, Oscar winner Octavia mm-hmm. Spencer as Nurse Daniels, Daniel Harris as Annie, Richard Ryle as Buddy, and Margot Kidder as Barbara. Um, and I think that is it for anybody of Newt. Yes. So, anywho. Um, I mean, nothing will ever... Like, I think Halloween 1 had a little bit more of the cameo dealies in it. Um, uh, No, this one had more. Did this one have more? This one had more. Well, you had Margot Kidder. Okay. Was in there. Um, She was playing Lori's therapist. Uh, Caroline Williams, who's another scream queen. She was playing a doctor in the hospital during that opening hospital sequence. Octavia Spencer was one of the nurses. Um, Richard Brake, who has become a Rob Zombie regular since then. Yeah. Um, Which I've also, I've seen, uh, like, pictures of him where they're saying that he needs to become the new Joker. I mean, those fucking teeth. Oh, my God. And just that, the, that mannerism, like, like, I was like, I could see it as, like, for, like, a more dark, gruesome kind of Joker. I was like, I'm, I'm with it. Um, but yeah, it's. For him, uh, oh, and I, and I think it's more because of uh, his role in Thirty One, where he was, you know, punched himself in the nose, and and well, his role in Mandy too. And Mandy, that's right, yeah, yeah, because he was the um, the chemist in Mandy. <laughs> he was the chemist. Um, he was loaded. <laughs> what a movie! Um, 
but yeah, no, like, but I remember um, in Halloween one. I don't know if it was just because I just I just liked them so much, but it was just like the cameos. Um, I just think were just a little bit better. I mean, when you had a, uh, <laughs> I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. <laughs> it's like, I mean, there was Ken Foray, yeah. but I think he might have been the only. Oh, and Sid Haig. Yeah, but I think those were the only ones. We have well, and uh, Lori's mom. Um, I forget her name. Um, oh, D. Wallace. D. Wallace. God, I, I'm shame. Just shame me. It might have been the same. Then it might have been the same number of uh, Williams Fourth Scythe was in that one too. Um, yeah. And Udo Kier actually was playing one of the doctors at Smith's Grove. Uh, anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, and you also like so you had a whole bunch of people, and I mean. Rob Zombie is notorious for he's kind of like the Adam Sandler of when it comes to those horror movies where I'm just going to put all my friends in and use them because I know that they're going to you know, oh, do a good job. Sure, so. for sure. Like he doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah, I mean, and when you get when you for Rob Zombie, I mean, because he came his real big break was. House Thousand Corpses. Even though that one, I feel a lot of fans like you either really love that movie or that it, it, it's not your cup of tea um, with a side of whiskey. So that was the thing. Was like for me, I am all about House Thousand Corpses. Uh, Devil's Rejects, same thing. That's a whole nother bag of cats. But I think that really kind of helped grounded him. But then this is like his first big major. Slasher, big, like, big movie. Um, yeah, the Halloween... I mean, Devil's Rejects did pretty well. It did well enough to land him the job for Halloween. Yes. And that's, this was his first, yeah, in terms of, like, blockbuster title, this was a big one. And I love that the... In some of the other, like, documentary stuff that we've seen for Rob Zombie, um, when he's talking about getting the role... He starts talking about what he wants to do, and you know, because he's you know a fan of the original, mm-hmm. uh, and he's trying to just get a concept out. And they're like, "Oh yeah, but we want to make it like make it more Rob Zombie." He's like, "I don't know what that means. What does that mean? I don't like. I, I'm gonna do whatever I'm 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 gonna put on the screen, but it's like it's like no, but it needs to be more Rob Zombie." And they're thinking it's like it's more. Uh, gore ridden, more uh, vulgar, just kind of amped up well, and the, turned eleven. There's, well, there's definitely a a Rob Zombie aesthetic, and you honestly, you either love it or you hate it. Yeah, there's really not a. It's it's very rare you find someone who can take it or leave it. It's either you're down with it and you like that white trash, dirty grindhouse '70s feel to all of his movies, or you don't. And a lot of people fucking hate it, and that's fine. Um. I'm fine with it because all directors have a style. You can point to some moves and go, that's a Spielberg movie without even seeing Spielberg's name on it. Mm-hmm. Things like that. You can tell when it's a James Cameron movie. Very he's easily. He's James Cameron. <laughs> right? Um, you can tell when it's a David Fincher movie because there's a mood to it. So mm-hmm. like all of these huge directors have a vibe to their movies or a look to their movies. John Carpenter, you know it's his without even seeing his name on it when you as soon as you hear the score. Sam Raimi, you know it's his because he's beating the shit out of Bruce Campbell. Correct. <laughs> Cuz that's his that's his shtick is let's put Bruce Campbell in a movie and beat the crap out of him. I was so happy with <laughs> with the latest Marvel 
Uh, yeah, the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. I was so happy. It took me a sec to realize that was him. Really? Yeah, I didn't realize it was Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I didn't realize it was Bruce Campbell at first until, like, they zoomed in. Well, because I haven't seen him since he let his hair go gray. Oh, yeah. So I was like, hey, that guy seems really familiar. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching, they zoom in on his face a little bit, and I Curtis is sitting next to me and I'm smacking him on the leg. I'm like, oh my god, it's Bruce Campbell! And then he has Bruce Campbell beating himself up. Yeah. And I was like, again. oh my god, we're doing it again! And uh, I was excited. He wasn't, because he was like, what are you freaking out about? I was like, you don't understand. When it's Raimi and Campbell, like, this is just a thing but, that they do. And then the end credit scene, when he finally stopped beating himself, he's like, oh, it's over. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I can finally stop doing this for my friend now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, so good. But yes, so every director's got their, their, just that weird stamp that really just marks their, it just, it's just the flurry, it's their signature, it's the whole, whole, whole deal. Um... I mean, and Rob Zombie, for me, it works because I've always been a Rob Zombie fan. I mean, everything from White Zombie into, like, his, uh, his, his solo, solo stuff, work yeah. and stuff. Like, I mean, Dragula. There was times where um, we were actually f- uh, driving from Florida to Massachusetts. Uh, you were asleep, and I was like jamming out so hard to Dragula. I was just I was just like going nuts trying to just stay awake, but it was just but I got in this weird Rob Zombie just mode and it's like it actually kind of worked for driving music. So, it was just really good, but for Halloween, I remember like the 78 version. Again, if you've listened to the show, I've bitched about it, but it's I've had so many problems with the holes. And Rob Zombie filled all those holes. He had all those questions, everything that Except I had. For one. There, there was a couple, but at, at the same time, I'm like, okay, great. He doesn't drive. Like, there's they kind of answer the whole thing with the sister, and so there's there was a lot in there that I liked. This one, I was curious because I heard that they Rob Zombie, much like John Carpenter, didn't want to do a second. Nope. And so I had this thing. I'm like, oh, does that mean that he's just going to phone it in? And then, <laughs> that is far from what happened. In he this did not film. phone it in. But I would wager a guess here that his effort was geared towards creating a giant middle finger to the studio by creating this movie. It's like, okay, like, I'll do another one. That's what he's, but, you know, they wanted a Rob Zombie movie, so he made it a Rob Zombie movie. This is not, I could even go with the argument that this doesn't particularly feel like a Halloween movie, because it doesn't. No. The characters are there, there's the brackets, there's Laurie, there's Michael, um, even bringing in the, um, the element of bringing Deborah Myers back for those weird hallucination scenes. Um, but this movie is really fucking weird. It's weird. And there are points where you're like, where is this even going? But personally, I find the weird part of the charm. The the white horse thing, um, trying to... Deborah Meyers trying to bring her family back together and get her kids back together. Um, that all 
it's just so bizarre. It's borderline art house in some places, but it's very much a Rob Zombie movie. And, like, mm-hmm. there was some interesting stylistic choices in terms of how certain scenes were shot. The Does he, in other movies, do the weird little sped-up bits in them? I don't remember him doing them in anything else. Um, he did... I think there was a couple in House of Thousand Corpses, but it wasn't... Um, it wasn't overused. Like there was the one scene where uh, the girl was in the coffin after they were they lowered her, mm. and they uh, tore open the the coffin um, after the ritual was done. Uh, there was another scene where uh, Doctor Satan is actually, you know, doing surgery on somebody. You could see them like you know freaking out in the in the corner because he did um, some of that sped up like a, the sped up sequences. Um, there was the one where Lori was having. The at the end of her hallucinating, um, the thing with Annie on the dinner table where she's no, that was something that was a, a Michael, that was a Michael one. No, oh, yeah, yeah. she's in the co- the glass coffin and her eyes pop open and she's screaming and she's um banging her hands against the coffin lid. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was and that was one that was sped up. There was another one where um, they're at the Halloween party and the kid dressed up as the wolf man got out to go pee and he was standing in front of a tree and Michael again it was a sped up and he came over and he ran up and stabbed him yeah um there were a couple more I think sprinkled throughout there were these little sped up shots they just felt kind of while they were neat they sort of felt out of place because it didn't stylistically feel right for zombie because I don't remember any I have to go back I haven't watched some of his other movies in a really long time but I don't remember them being a part of really any of his other films not in any major way anyway uh house thousand corpses like i I mentioned there was there was a few in there uh just because there was a little bit more of the art you know slapdash style that he had Well, that was like a first draft movie for him yes yeah um but then once you got into uh devil's rejects because it was more grounded and realistic, there was none of that. There's no yeah. craziness. Yeah, because that was um, shot more like a western. Yeah, uh, thirty one. I think may have had a couple things, but again, it was another grounded one. Nothing that was. I think there was like a couple scenes where they like you could see the people clapping in the in the rafters and stuff like that, but it looked a little bit more sped up. Um, but Lords of crazy. Salem, from what I, I haven't seen, Lord, I've only seen Lords of Salem once, and I didn't particularly care for it. But um, that one was very slowed down. Yeah, uh, I don't recall any of that in there, um, and I haven't seen Three from Hell yet. Um, I'm kind of slacking on watching that one. Same, same thing. Like, there's nothing. That, it's, it's more grounded. Yeah, it's, it's weird. so it was just an odd. It just kind of. It was an interesting thing to like visually it was interesting, but it just didn't feel right because a it doesn't fit with the style of the director. I feel like he was just kind of trying something because he thought it looked neat. It, it but it didn't felt to me more like a Marilyn Manson music video, mm, yeah. not a Rob Zombie video. It felt like a Manson video. You go back and li- uh, uh, and I'll, I'll put this that that scene you're talking about where she's in the coffin. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, freaking out, and just before that, you see Deborah Myers uh, uh, over the grave, and she's kind of doing the you know the big arms and yeah. you know doing her cherry moon, creepy pale white face thing. Yeah. Um, and if you go back and look at the music video for the Nobodies, 
it kind of has that same kind of aesthetic where it's very it's a weird elegant thing and there's the, the dinner table and Manson like there's a couple of times where Manson like he'll do that thing where he'll move really quick or they speed the the camera up to make him look creepy um especially like back like older Manson like they would do that a lot um so stuff like that was was cool but it, it felt more of just a like a straight up music video well there were a lot of um there were a lot of shots that felt like even Rob Zombie's music videos, um, especially some of the dreamier sequences, mm-hmm. um, like not the sped up part where, but where Lori's in the coffin and Deborah is up over top of her, she has her arms open and stuff like that. The way it's shot and lit, like from down low, kinda. Um, then there was the scene that you had mentioned where Deborah is guiding Michael through, explaining to him that he needs to find his sister, bring her home. Um, because she wants her family back together again, and Lori's laying on the table, and they have all of those people in the masks and the costumes mm-hmm. around the table, and it had this very almost like German expressionist feel to it, yeah. like something out of probably like the Living Dead Girl video or something, which was a very music video shot as well, like with all of those. Uh, I'm trying to think of, um, I mean, Rob Zombie's videos were more. Uh, chaotic and bouncy, like that. That's the best way to explain them. Is just like there's always there's always oh, no, there's always movement. Um, yeah. There's always color. There's always something going on. So um, I but Living Dead Girl is the only one that's and that black and white. Uh, it's because of the Doctor Doctor Caligari. Caligari. Yeah. So it's the Caligari story, um, but it's so it's all black and white. It's in that grainy film, and that's kind of the that's where I think you got that. Uh, that shot because you can see Deborah walking in white uh, in that black and white shot, um, and I think they also filmed it in the sixteen millimeter, um, uh, well, just the, the framing and stuff like that. So it kind of had that same that old school feel. Um, but there was a lot of that. Um, the stuff that felt more like a Rob Zombie film is all the stuff when. Lori is completely drunk in that awesome. Oh, and their the um, costume, Rocky yeah, the Rocky up. Horror. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty awesome to see them all as the Rocky Horror Picture Show characters. But um, all the stuff where she's having like her little drunk hallucinations that felt like more like an actual zombie film because of all the lighting and the music and everything else on top of it. So um, there was a good mixture of it, and I think he was. Um, I mean, all we need is just John 5 in the background just shredding it up, and we're good to go. I mean... <laughs> Pretty much. I'm actually kind of surprised he didn't cast him in the party scene as part of that rockabilly band. Yeah. Just well, to have You know that's there. an actual band, right? Is it? Yeah. I have, their, I have their album on my Apple Music. It's awesome. Yeah, it's Captain Clegg and the Night Creatures. They have, like, songs like, it's like Honky Tonk Halloween and Zombie go go and... It's, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a it's especially good to put a, like a little Halloween party. So sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah. Um, again, you have to kind of like the psychobilly thing, and it's not my bag. Yeah, but. yeah. The reason that we named our show "Creeping It Real" is from the band The Necromantics. 
um, <laughs> because they have a song called Creeping It Real, and they got that psychobilly thing. And I was trying to figure out a way when we got the show started to use that song as our theme song, but I really didn't want to have to pay royalties or anything like that. If you know, this show just started to blow up and get you know too oh, big yeah. for our britches. We're so. huge now. <laughs> We're yeah. huge. <laughs> so yeah. Big honking deal. Um. So. Yeah. Um, back to the movie, I suppose. This one, you know what also is really unique about this one? Is, uh, there was no sign of Carpenter's theme song. The Halloween theme music? Nope. Not until the credits rolled. Typically, in any of the Halloween movies, that you'll hear the piano bars kick in, typically, when Michael's about to do us some kidding. But, um, that was not the case here. In fact... You heard Love Hurts before you heard Carpenter's theme. Yeah, and there was, there was a couple times where you would uh, hear the, like, when things are starting to kind of amp up, it would just be the the weird bump, 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 dump, bump. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, like, none yeah. of that. So, which is actually nice and a little refreshing, to be honest, because they would do a little bit of that in the first Rob Zombie Halloween because uh, for obvious reasons I mean if you didn't have it in there people would fucking lose their goddamn mind um, but at the same time with this one this is a complete step away and it's its own movie uh, which is like I said to throw the word out again it's a little little refreshing Ex- yeah especially after because we've been watching Every Halloween, you know, back to back to back to back, and yes, they they hit their beats, but at the same time, like this is something that is brand new. It's yeah, yeah. Um, th- that's probably the part of it is that this, I think, is such a maligned movie because it is so weird and different that it did take a couple of turns. Um, and it does it doesn't follow the halloween patterns in any way cuz there's definitely a formula of these movies after watching we've been watching them one a week now for what is this 8 weeks now yeah so um like i think we've got a pretty good handle on what this formula is supposed to look like and after especially after watching 4 and 5 which were basically rinse repeat versions of the original Carpenter Halloween. There were new characters, but it remained the same, the same plot beats and everything else. It was just kind of fucking stupid um, after a while. And then six goes completely off the fucking rails. It makes no sense. It's just a bunch of scenes kind of cobbled together. Uh, And probably one of the things I like most about this one is Almost every Halloween movie has something taking place in a fucking hospital. Yep. Right? Every movie. There's always a fucking hospital. And I'm so over it. And one of my favorite things that I know pisses a lot of people off is this movie, uh, about, I don't know, five or seven minutes into it, it picks up in a hospital. Because, like, the first five or seven minutes is basically the epilogue of the first film with Lori walking down the road, looking disheveled. She just shot Michael. She's clearly in shock. Um, and then we end up in a hospital shortly thereafter. 
but it's a dream sequence. She's having like a PTSD nightmare, which she's having. All she's been having nearly every night, and depending on which version of the movie, it's been either for a year or two years, depending on whether you have theatrical or the director's cut. Yeah, which is very very bizarre that they decided. It literally to make a adds nothing. But, yeah. Like, Rob Zombie doing his director's cut, changing it from one year later to two years later, adds zero things to the movie. Yeah, it's weird. It's fine. Um, but that part aside, except for, I think the, actually, the wrinkle, now that I'm thinking about it, the wrinkle it does add into it is it kind of alerts us to how long Lori has been in survival mode. Because she's treated differently depending on which version of the film you're looking at. In the theatrical cut, you have Laurie... And we, we went and saw this in theaters when it was released in 2009. Um, and that's the only time I've seen that version of this film. Because in the United States, if you get a physical copy of it, which I have is on disc, it's only the director's cut. The only time you're going to be able to get a home video or hard copy of this movie is in other regions outside of the United States. For whatever reason, the only one we've been allowed is the director's cut. Okay, fine. I think Amazon Prime, we can get the theatrical cut. I think I think in some of the streaming, like if you could rent it from there, you can get, um, it. You can get it. But it's still, it's one of those... It's tough. Yeah. In the States, it's really hard to get. Um, but in the theatrical version, we have Lori trying to keep it together. Like, she's healing, she's kind of going through the process, um, she's, you, you clearly see that she's going through some trauma issues, but she's kind of pulling it together. And the director's version, she's not very likable. She's, her personality has completely changed from where she was in the first movie, she's not handling things well, she's snapping at Annie. She's getting moody with everybody. Um, there's little flashes of the good girl that she was, but ultimately she is not that girl anymore. Like, there is, like, the one from the theatrical, uh, there's the scene where it was the next morning, it was, like, the morning right after she had her little uh, freak-out dream, and you could, you know, Sheriff Brackett and, and Annie were and they could hear her screaming. They I mean they hear her screaming all the time. But um so it's that morning and then Annie like sits down with Lori and they, you know, oh do you want to talk it out? And it's like, oh I have something else to talk about in therapy now. It's like, oh just one day at a time. Lori in the theatrical just repeats it back to her one day at a time and then it cuts to the next scene. Yeah, and the and director and then she smiles at Annie and it seems like things are fine and then yes the director's version takes it once yeah the director's like she just like blows up at annie like it's her fault she's like if i have to hear that one fucking line one more goddamn time and they, they, they fucking care about me am i like it's like oh my god and it's like it makes her so unlikable yeah instantly yeah both it's uh both versions of the movie are Lori's story um this is Lori's story. This is her spiral into madness. This is her fucking losing it. Um, but in the theatrical version, you have it. It's a harder slide because she does start out being a bit more pulled together, 
and being a little... Yeah, she doesn't seem quite right, but at least you can tell she's kind of trying to have a normal life. In the other one, she's... She never got there. Yeah. She's not working with much. And what's hard... I think one of the things, too, is... And I'll, I'll let you jump in here in a second. But, like, I think one of the things that's really difficult, too, is her living with Annie. Because Annie... Annie went through it. Annie got the shit kicked out of her. She was carved up pretty good, too. Um, was living with Annie. Annie is a constant reminder of that night with Michael. She cannot get away with it because she can see Annie's scars and what happened to her. And it's just a daily reminder of the trauma. And Annie's dealing with it. Annie's dealing with it a bit better um, because her entire family wasn't slaughtered. Um, But she's definitely not as plucky as she was in the first movie. She's definitely a lot more um, she's kind of missing what she's not as positive. She's a lot more st- stoic, um, a little bit meaner. She's definitely a little bit more like she's got more teeth to her now than she did in the first movie. Yeah, there's there's a big um, I guess anarchy behind her. And it's the... She's got the fuckets real bad. The, she's got a lot of the fuckets. And the thing that, that kills me is that as we were watching the movie, like, the first time in the theatrical, I think I turned to you and I was like, I was like, this is Katie. It's like, I had an ex-girlfriend back in high school that literally acted just like Lori did. And uh, that whole scene where... Uh, she just finds out that she's Angel Myers. She's freaking out at her friend's house. And then, like, she's on the couch. And she's like, you know what? Just fuck it. Like, I just want to party. I want to get fucked up. I don't want to, like, care anymore. And I'm like, and I was like, and Katie used to act like that. It was just this whole, like, you know what? Like, my mom just bitched at me for a little bit. I, let's just go get, like, and I understand that. You got to, you know, blow off steam and stuff like that. But it was just the... The attitude that her and one of her friends gave off. Um, because the blonde, I forget her name, but... Um, Maya. Maya. Maya was the more sensible one. She had, like, yeah. that... They She could get she could get wild with them, but she was just like, oh, I'm, I'm the designated driver in this group, basically. Maya is mom. She's the level yeah. head. Um, she is... She's supposed to be a mirror of Annie... Because Annie filled that role, too. Yeah. Um, at her house, you could tell she was very much kind of thrust into this maternal role. Um, it's like with her dad and stuff like that. You could see it. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's constantly just puttering around the house she, while Lori's working. She's at, out of the house. Annie's home. And she's trying to make sure her dad's eating well and he's... Um, she's, you know, the, the whole thing with the pizza, get the whole wheat crust, and he's just like, oh my god, let's just put cheese on the, on the cheese, on the pizza box and just call it a day. And she's like, dad, you know it's good for you, so he's trying to make, she's trying to make sure her dad's staying healthy, and, um. Oh, what was it, like, he's like, oh, like, you want some egg whites? He's like, oh, I think I was gonna just stop in town and get one of those sticky buns. Yeah. And it's like. And he, they just needle each other, and she's, she's not having any of Lee's shit. Like, her dad, she's just not. She's like, come on, dad. And, you know, you gotta get protein in you and stuff like that. And then when he actually gets the pizza and he's like, she's like, oh, you didn't get the whole one. He's like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> he didn't forget. Fuck 
<laughs> no, he didn't. He was in charge of getting the pizza. At least he was nice enough to get the nasty ass pineapple side that Lori asked for. A hundred percent. Don't say it. For reals? Don't you say it. I would eat that entire pizza and be happy about the whole thing. Like, I actually like pineapple on my pizza. I do. I do. It happens. Don't like it all the time, but I do like it. You know what's interesting is I'll do pineapple with pepperoni instead of, like, the pineapple ham. It's a weird, like, I don't know why it tastes a little better for me. I don't know. Don't do it all the time, but I can't dig, dig it. Um, (laughs) sorry if I offended anybody out there. Um, but yeah, no, like, so, but Brackett was really great. And I like that he was trying to give like a decent family, like he was trying to connect both Annie and and Lori. Cause I think he could see and, and he knew like he, like he was all about the whole story. Cause he was dealing the whole shit with Loomis and, uh, it's just, I mean, he was the one that admitted Angel from the report because he didn't want that baby girl to go through any of that. So it's kind no, of like... No, of course not. And you know. he was the one who responded to the Deborah Meyer suicide and took Angel, baby Angel, out of that house and tried to get her placed someplace as far away from Haddonfield like, he just dropped her a couple towns over. It was like, get her out of Haddonfield. So he drove a couple hours out of the way to drop this baby off, only to have her turn around and come right back. And he's like, well, fuck. So, like, part of him, I don't know if he feels some level of responsibility for her or what, or if it's just because she and Annie were so close that she's essentially, like, a second daughter to him, too. Which is very weird, too, when you think about it. It's like, okay, this... This little girl that he's trying to protect, and he puts her in, a, in an orphanage, like orphanage. No, he dropped or, her in an ER. Or was it an ER? Okay. Yeah. Well, no, because then the um, the Strodes went and, uh, and adopted her. So that's why I was like, I thought like she was at like a no, he because emergency rooms, fire departments, and like some clinics are no questions asked, baby drop offs. Mm. If you don't, if you have an infant and you don't want it you can drop it off at any of those places it's a safe place no questions asked boom done yeah. but and that's that, what he did yeah so it was just funny that when you think about it, it's like so he wanted to take it you know a couple towns over and then all of a sudden the strodes bring her back mm-hmm. and then out of nowhere his daughter is now best friends with that same kid and it's like did was he doing that on purpose or was he i mean because at this time it's like okay well you know, there wasn't really any cause for concern that the brother was going to come back in a vicious form and, you know, slaughter everybody. It was just kind of like, I just wanted this girl away from that story. And I think it worked, but it was just funny that he became a part of her life more than I think what he ever thought it would have gone to. Well, sure. Like, I don't think he ever, in, a mil- in his wildest dreams, imagined that Michael Myers would be coming back uh, the first time. Let alone a second time. Because as far as Brackett is concerned, Myers is dead. Um, yes, he knows that the body was never recovered. Uh, Lori didn't know that. He didn't bother telling the girls that. Why? Why would you tell these two trauma survivors that their killer might not be dead? What the fuck? 
that would be really shitty. And the whole thing where, because Brackett was the only one who knew who Lori really was, when he told Loomis in part one, and then Loomis publishing that, he did Loomis writing that book about the night that he came home, and uh, re- did the big Lori Strode reveal that way, which I'm going to get to in a second. Like, there's there's just so much going on here. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of good though. Like that's the thing. It's, it is really good because that it works. That's one of the things. So Halloween Part One, one of the pretty much one of the only major plot holes is how did Michael know that. Lori Strode was his sister because he was looking for a baby the picture he had was was of like a one year old maybe Um, so how does he know that that teenage girl who dropped off the envelope was his sister that's the biggest plot hole is there's no explanation for him knowing who, who she actually is and Lori has no idea who he is she just thought she was the unfortunate target of this murderer's spree thing um she just fit the profile that for all she knew and then come to find out she survived this murder spree and um she sees that dr loomis had published another book and she knew who loomis was so she went in and got herself a copy and she's flipping through it on halloween night which is a trigger night for her obviously because of what happened and um now the big secret's out Loomis has told the entire planet who she actually is. And she never knew. It was kept from her. And, um, honestly, if I were her, I would have a major fucking meltdown about it, too. Because her whole life, she thought she was Laurie Strode. And she's not. She is a blood relation of this fucking psychopath. And the infamy of that alone, of, of who Michael Myers the shape is, is, is a huge deal. But to suddenly be smacked over the head with this information and the kind of life that you had come from. Your mother's a stripper. She's been through several boyfriends. Your dad had and died. And he put all of that in All that of book. it was in there. The whole thing from the, was the red rabbit. Like, yeah, all of it was in there to really kind of paint this picture that Deborah Myers was just, well, you know, I just think, not, not, I was gonna say degen, degenerate, but she was far from a degenerate. She was just she was a stripper. She was she just you know she was using. She loved her kids. She loved her babies. You yeah. can tell. But she was using the only skill she had. Clearly, she was a low skilled person. She maybe she didn't even finish high school. You can kind of extrapolate a lot on who Deborah Myers was, but. Can you imagine thinking you have your dad's a realtor, your mom's a stay-at-home mom, you've got this pretty stand-up life, three-bedroom house, picket fence, blah blah blah, bullshit, like, and to think that you had come from this very broken, dysfunctional family, and then your brother on top of it is a killer. That's enough to cri- that could cripple anybody. Oh yeah, and that was something where. From the original, the only time that we understand that it's that Lori is Michael's sister is when uh, Loomis and um, Bracket have that uh, conversation. No, 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 no. I'm talking in '78. Oh, uh, yeah. In Halloween Two, yeah, yeah, when yeah. they're sitting in the car and they oh, him and Marion have that conversation. Marianne, yeah. yeah, 
So it's like when they have that conversation, it's like, okay, well, now we get it. We get an idea of like what is actually happening. Step forward into Rob Zombie Halloween, and we, as the audience member, knows. But yes, that plot hole. It's like there was that one scene where he like picks up the envelope after she drops it into the Myers house, yeah. and he sniffs it. It was just kind of like... What were you hoping to get out of that? Yeah, and it's like, how did he know that that, that was Lori? It's like, there was nothing... So, for me, I, I caught that when we first watched it in theaters, and I just kind of was like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to not... I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to take this ride and just see where else this goes. And I was actually very happy because all the other questions that I had in it were there, but I'm like, you know what? That's a little... Little hole, I'm gonna forgive it. It's whatever. Yeah, and it's it's an easy one to gloss, and it's an easy one a to gloss over, but b for zombie to have overlooked because we are we, you can't see the forest for the trees at that point. You kind of the series was almost thirty years old. You'd already we we know, so it almost didn't feel like that detail was something to even think about because yeah, Lori is Michael Myers' sister. Everyone knows that. We don't need to get that leap to where he figures out that she is yeah. the baby he's looking for. We don't need to do that leap, I guess. That's probably the whole thing. Um, at least that's what I can gather out of it. Uh, but then um, going back to Jamie Lee Curtis's version of it, we never got to see the reveal for her finding out that Michael's her brother. She just, by the it was time... in age 20 is when she... She already knew. knew yeah. She knew who he was, and we didn't get to, as an audience, that part of the story, we were not privy to. We knew in Halloween 2 and 81 when that was released, but, like, Lori was never told, as far as we knew. The Jamie Lee Curtis version of Lori Strode was not told this information in front of us, the audience. So, to have, once again, Rob Zombie spackled over a plot hole... And fixed it to where this is the reveal. So, for that whole time, the uh, Scout Taylor Compton's Lori was going, why me? What did I have to do with anything? Especially when Michael had shown her the picture of him and the baby and all this other stuff. She had no fucking idea. Um, like, we as an audience, that's, that's more satisfying for us because we actually got to go along that journey of her getting that information. Right. Yeah, and I actually got to thinking too. Is like in the Halloween one when he's got uh, the you know dead girl in the in the cellar with the the Myers tombstone. With Linda, yeah. yeah, with Linda. And it's like, and he's you know thrusting the picture in her face, and she's like, I don't understand. Like, what do you want from me? What if she actually kind of understood, or as like, what was what was Michael going to do after that? Because the only reason that he went back after her was because she stabbed the shit out of him and and hurt him. Well, that was a betrayal. It, it was the betrayal. So it was like, but he, it's like, would he have just, I don't know what his end game would have been. It's like, oh, it's like, I'm, just a, I'm just a dog chasing a car. I don't know what to do when I catch it. Like, well, that's, yeah, that's a big question too is what if, what if she knew? What if she said, oh my God, like... And made the connection that they they had a connection somehow. Like, what? Because Michael went after her 
because she was one of the only people who never hurt him. She was a baby, so naturally that was not going to be a thing. But it was like, and that's why um, his mother and Lori were the only two in part two. Was He thinks about them because they were the ones who didn't hurt him. I mean, Lori obviously ended up stabbing the shit out of him when she was just like, this is some psycho who's after me. Hang on a second. You know what this made me... Talking about the whole reveal that she's Michael's sister and stuff like that. Do you think that maybe she didn't even know she was adopted? No. Like, I'm wondering if maybe the Strodes just kept it from her that she was adopted. I would assume so. Because that's a man... That's like, that reaction was off the charts hysterical. Like, she didn't even know she was adopted to begin with. So... That's like an extra layer on top of that revelation. Yeah, I would I would actually assume that the Strodes never had a... A reason to tell her. Ever. There was really... Because she didn't have any other family. Yeah. There's no way... I mean... And it was a closed adoption, I'm sure. And she looked, I mean, pretty close to uh, Dee and, and or Mr. and Mrs. Strode, like... So it wasn't like I don't think there had ever been a thing. It's I could understand. It's like if maybe if, if Lori was was black and the Strodes were white, there's probably going to be some questions to be had. But like, but again, it's it was, blonde hair, blue eyes. I mean, she was that do. that young of a baby. She's not going to remember any of that no. at all. And uh, even at the hospital and stuff like that, after you know, Bracket dropped her off, it wasn't until it was like months later. That the Strodes, you know, he came to find out, and he's like, "Well, shit." So even the Strodes didn't know; they just went down no, to. No, the baby was yeah. Jane Doe. Yeah, so they were like, "Okay, well, let's just take it." And like, so I don't even think the Strodes knew. I think Brackett is literally the only person to have that information, mm-hmm. and because of the whole situation of everything that happened, it's like him knowing that. Well, because in part one, I'm trying to think, because he explained to Loomis what the situation was. And he said, he had mentioned my buddy Mason had adopted a baby girl. And he obviously, he would recognize the baby girl because he was the one who pulled her out of that fucking house. So he knew who she was. And, um, but I don't recall him letting Mason in on any of that information. Yeah. Like, can you imagine being burdened with that? It's it's crazy, and that's where I'm like, it, it was And hilarious. you have to look at her every day because she's best friends with your daughter? Exactly. That had to kill him. Like, Brackett is, it, like, when, when I look at, like, Brad Dory and just the way that he delivered it, it was so awesome because he, he genuinely, like, you could tell that he had a love for Lori. Yeah, you know, like, you know, like a, like a kind of like a fa- like you're you're another daughter. It's, yeah, there was definitely a paternal. Yeah, when it's like when I remember like there's hockey players that I you know or teammates that I played with. Um, I, you know, I would be over their house all the time, and their their parents basically kind of became my parents. Yeah, and when I was growing up, you know? my best friend, my mom always called her her other daughter. Yeah, because she was always around. Yeah. So I mean I and I can understand that with bracket, but it was just it there that whole layer of I know everything about you that you will never know. I can't tell you. It's yeah. like it's it that is a 
a heavy deal, and he cannot, and he never lets anything slip. No, it wasn't until Loomis showed up, and he had to. Yeah, and he's just like, "All right, I'm going to tell you this." So that, and adds then that, was another, it. that adds an extra layer onto the big Lori reveal. So it's so there's another layer, another wrinkle where it's you're adopted. Oh, by the way, your mother was a stripper. Oh, by the way, your brother's a psycho killer. Oh, by the way, your best friend's father knew. And didn't fucking tell anybody. Because you know Loomis printed that part in the book. And Sheriff Lee Brackett said, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, he, she, he sourced him. And that's why I think Brackett had that uh, meltdown at his desk when he was reading the book. And he got to that part and he was, like, pissed. Yeah. He was so pissed. And, you know, the funny thing was, is, like, I know a lot of people in this film, uh, they really, really blame... Loomis for uh-huh. for all the murders. They don't blame Michael. They they think that it's like it's Loomis's Dr. Frankenstein. Yes. Uh so yeah, he's Dr. Frankenstein and um and Michael was his monster to a point. But I think part of it is and it was addressed in part 1 as well and more so in part 2 is that Loomis cashed in on that whole story. He cashed in on the Mike. The first part was on the Michael Myers story with Deborah and Judith and those murders. And then the second book was what happened on Halloween night. Yeah. The night that he came home. We'll just use the tagline from the 78 film. Um, and you saw that at the book signing with Linda's dad. Yep. When he came up and confronted Loomis and he brought a fucking gun. So, he came to party. It wasn't loaded. <laughs> I would say... No, didn't he get a shot off? No. No? Okay. No, he pointed the gun at him, and uh, when this, uh, the PR and Loomis were in the car, or in the limo, they were saying, like, oh, the gun wasn't even loaded. Like, And okay. then Loomis was like, oh, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> but that was the thing was... And the, throughout this whole story, it's like, everyone's blaming Loomis for bringing the killer and i was like but i don't understand like i I, I never got that i was like why blame him it's like he didn't create michael but he i can understand getting pissed that he's you know trying to profiteer off of a off of a story that is really crippling to other families but at the same time it's like you don't i why are you blaming him like because like linda's uh dad was just like he was saying like oh you murdered them and he's like, no, like they were murdered pretty well before I got to them. <laughs> like I, before I even showed up, it was just they were already dead. Like it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, I think it just might be a Frankenstein and his monster thing where they're transferring blame because Loomis and Michael were so closely connected, and because Michael or um, because Loomis was a direct contact with Michael for so long. Well, I mean, even Loomis says, he's like, I became a second father figure to him. Or he's like... The only Mi- father figure. Yeah, Mike- Michael never had that father figure, so he's like, I, because I was around him all the time, I was it. I would argue Ishmael, too. Yeah, Ishmael. Danny, Danny Trejo's character. Yeah. To, to a point, because he was trying to be good to him, especially when he was a kid. Um, but, yeah, I think a lot of the, the anger is... The greed. And I kind of 
some people don't like it, but I I kind of found the the turn the Loomis character took was far more interesting than what Donald Pleasance did. I think the because it's a caricature of those psychologists. And there are so many of them out there that they salivate when they get a patient like that because they can just see the book sales in their head of this case study. And that's what Michael Myers was, was a case study. And this was Loomis publishing his case study out to the masses instead of it being in some psych journal. That's really all these books were. It's like it's like Ian Malcolm and um, the latest uh, Jurassic World uh like movie or whatever he he becomes a part of the corporation and he's doing because it's like oh it's just money it's like and he's printing books and he's doing all this like all the, the chaos theory shit and it's, it's, it's great yeah and he um well that's all that that is was he he saw an opportunity um i don't think the initial first run thing like, when he took Michael on initially as a patient when he was 10, I don't think Loomis saw dollar signs there. I think that came later. Because he, he seemed more he really willing wanted, to help. Yeah, he really wanted to crack that kid and yeah. figure out what was wrong and try to help him. Yeah, and because there was that, that fatherly, like, you could tell there it was like a fatherly love during those sessions where he's trying to help Michael, trying to get him yeah. to work out whatever he's doing. But I think and when that first book so did as well as it did, that is when things turned a corner. Naturally, he's like, well, I think I can do you one better because of what happened to him that night, the year before, or two years before, depending on which version of the film you're looking at. Because he was literally there. He was in it. Like He, he was, almost died. Yeah. Um, and again... So one thing that I always took from one of my favorite stories is The Watchmen. Yeah. So Alan Moore in the beginning of one of the Watchmen books, it's the the they're doing the novel or it's the bio for the for the Night Owl, for okay. the, the original Night Owl. And they're talking about how like well, how do I start the story? And the whole thing of you just got to Start off with something very negative, and that gets yeah, your audience in. Like he's like, if you start off with something good, it's like your audience isn't going to stick around because it's whatever's. But if you start with the negative, so and then Alan Moore continues on with with the negative. And I've done that a couple times in little stories I've written, and it and it works. It it's a much more engaging thing. Rob Zombie did it with this film where you could see it's just the, the really troubled boy, something really negative, and because Zombie took it to that level of like like there was a line, Rombie's you know, Rob Zombie saw it and then just went, I'm gonna be the fuck over there, like fifty miles away from oh, it. Yeah, he like, crashed through it. And so that was the thing was he took that intensity or something that negative and you were like sucked in on it because it's like it was just so bad, mm-hmm. and that's something where I, I like I I dig on that. However, for the character of Loomis and Lori, I didn't like it. It was too much. It was a lot. This it was a bit of an onslaught of of very negative emotions. I did think though the Loomis character. The way Malcolm McDowell portrayed him in this as being sort of that greedy diva type character was far more interesting 
to see that character arc and especially the turn he starts taking when he becomes more self-reflective towards the end of the film than Donald Pleasance grabbing little kids and running around screaming at math and numbers and stuff at people. And and to kind of add on to my little thought, in the director's cut, I didn't like the turn for... Or I didn't like the way that Laurie and, and Loomis were. I like the turn for both of them where it's like, okay, well, he's been doing the, the, the doctor thing for a long time and he you know, came across this thing and he can make money. It's like, I could see that. And I like that turn. And I like where he kind of became the celebrity. And it was really funny where he's... But he's a celebrity that everyone couldn't wait. He was the tall poppy. Yeah. People couldn't wait to cut him down. Yeah. And Chris Hardwick did it. Oh, God, Chris Hardwick. And, and Weird Al. Fucking Weird Al Yankovic. Hello, Mr. Weird. Just call me Al. <laughs> okay. Wow. Mr. Weird was my father. <laughs> like, like, oh, my God. Oh, and then there was a the whole thing of... Uh, uh, oh, or Chris asked him, oh, do you feel responsible for the deaths or blah, blah, blah. And then Weird Al, like, no, you know, like, I, I just make my music to make my music. Like, yeah. oh, oh, you mean, oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Like, oh, no, I got permission to write those songs. <laughs> Oh, you mean him. I was like, oh my god, it's so fucking good. I was like, you can't... Even if Loomis was like still actually pissed about that, I was like, that's a good fucking joke. I was like, you gotta laugh at that, and then just kind of move on from there. But it was just like, it's so good. It was just... And it was so bizarre seeing Weird Al. I was actually thinking it was gonna be like Brian Posehn or somebody. It would have made... I mean, ultimately it would have made more sense if it was someone like Brian Posehn. But it tickles me that Rob Zombie and Weird Al Yankovic could potentially be friends. Yeah. Oh. It's like, because like, cause Zombie and Chris Hardwick have a relationship because of House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm-hmm. So theirs goes back years. The whole, at this point, it was about ten years. And, uh, but to think that he could potentially have, because Zombie has a habit of casting his friends and family in his movies. So to think he could potentially be, have this funny little friendship with Weird Al Yankovic kind of tickles me. I don't know. I just think it'd be fun. It, I I would love it's to nice be friends. Swerve. I would love to be just an acquaintance of Weird Al. Like just to have that. I I put that on my resume. Like it'd just be friend s- of Al. Oh my god, it's so good. Al, come weird. I I have been a huge fan of Weird Al for uh, all all my life. So it's yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, I'm actually really excited to see the whole Daniel Radcliffe thing, which is so bizarre. So weird, the Al Yankovic. Yeah, yeah, it's like like I heard it's like it's got like. Some insane, insanely good reviews. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, but I'm, I'm also in. kind of like, that's an interesting casting choice. But apparently, he nails it, so we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 take on the Loomis character, um, again, while being interesting, it, it also provides for a really interesting character arc for him in this version um, because you got to see where he was basically Captain Ahab in the first movie especially the back half of the first movie where he's, oh God, Michael got out. Now what do I do? I have to track him down. In this one, because of the turn of events his life has taken, his ego is humongous. And Malcolm McDowell does a great job of playing a diva. Malcolm McDowell, he's such a legend. If I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. What kind of line is that? It's just like, holy shit. Um, there was one that, uh, and again, that's one of those, like, that taking that line and just 
pushing it a oh, little. Oh, he abused the fuck out of his uh, it was publicist. Bad, but there was that one uh, line where I actually had to ask you if you caught it was when he was doing his book signing and he was taking a photo with this girl and he just kind of he's smiling at the camera, but he asked her, "Is like, oh, are you you are you a real redhead?" And then he just like, "Oh, thanks," and he just and she just walks away, and I'm like, "That's fucking gross." It's real gross. And then there's the one where he's in front of the Myers house and he's talking to some blonde reporter and he's like, oh, you know, I could be uh, willing well, she to... she asked him how long he was going to stay in town. Yeah, he's like, I could definitely stay in a little bit longer if you know, there's something or uh, someone that uh, it gives me a reason to... Oh, you know, say it. It's like, oh my God. It's gross. Like, it's, it, but it's just, it's such for Loomis, mm-hmm. I don't see that. And I'm like, oh my god! It's like, so does that also mean that he's doing that so much that he's actually getting tail? It had to have worked at least once. Like he's got the drip enough where he's like, hey, look, I, I almost died. Let's go back to my hotel room and, uh, you know, Smash. I'll, I'll give you the little loom. I don't know. Like, what does he do? Like, I don't understand. Like how? Like I'll give you a diagnosis. I don't. Uh, uh, Craig, all I can tell you is like. <laughs> Every other man on the face of the planet, if it worked once, it's going to work again at some point. So they will try it and try it and try it and try it until it hits a second time. Because it worked one other time before. That's it. Yeah, but it's just, it's very, it was just a very creepy oh, yeah. no, thing I don't for, with you. for him to do. And then on top of that, all like the way that he treated his publicist and just the whole, it's just everything around Loomis for the the pretty much the entire movie was just awful. And on top of that, it didn't really fit for I mean, yeah, it's like we're following Loomis, but because it is it's mainly a lorry story, the only real reason that Loomis is there to begin with is to promote the book and for Lori to get the book. So it's like you're following Loomis, but it's like it's kind of like a weird like kind of sub story. Doesn't really. He's the B. He's the B yeah. plot for sure. But then it's like at the end, it was just kind of weird where he was just like, "Oh, now I feel bad because I did this." It's like my career's over, and because of the interview that he did with Chris Hardwick's character, mm-hmm. and then he was like, then he sees the the news report that Laurie Strode was taken by a man and. All the, or there's a man in a shack and all this other stuff. And so then he's like, well, now I have to go and make amends. And it's just kind of like a little – it's a little too late in a weird way. But And they also do this weird thing with Michael where they're – in the director's cut, he's standing outside uh, on the street or like on the highway and he sees a billboard of Loomis. Yeah. And And – Ghost mom or Mama Myers, she shows up and she's talking to Michael, saying like, "Oh, like I'm glad that he's, uh, you know, he's got money. It's like he must be happy being famous now." And it's kind of like, I honestly don't think Michael would give two shits. Like I don't care. I don't think he really cares about. I mean, unless he's like, "Oh, now you're dragging my family through the ground." Well, that's that's what Deborah told him. It's like he's, okay. he's making a buck off of our backs. Yeah. Off of our pain. She used the word pain. Mm. And that's what... Okay. I think I think turning Michael into a bit of a mama's boy was 
a funny little twist that Zombie put on the character. It's, he dragged a little Jason Voorhees. It's Jason. It. Yeah. The whole time I'm like, this is fucking Jason. Yeah. This this could very well... You could interchange him with Jason Voorhees and have pretty much... This story would make a little bit and more sense. And that was one of the reasons why... Like, I laughed so hard. Uh, I remember talking to a buddy of mine that absolutely was just tearing this fucking movie apart he's like i hate the fucking ghost mom i hate all that things like it makes no goddamn sense like for michael but like all those other stuff and i go but then he'll turn around i'm like oh like so you like jason Voorhees, right and he's like yeah i was like well you know his, his mom did the same thing in part two that you also liked and all this i was like that's kind of like a, a running thing with jason is mama's like the whole this whole little music that like that whole thing yeah you can almost expect a little kiki mama yeah it's his mom saying telling him to kill i was like so that's it's basically the same concept it's just zombie did it in this weird art house way and it's it's very very bizarre but it's like i love that where i'm like everyone that bitch that oh i don't like the ghost thing but then they turn around they like the, the all the jason stuff and it's like well you're just kind of, uh, you know, stubbing your own toe there. So real. Um, yeah, pretty much. No, I didn't, I actually, it's an odd choice, but it doesn't bother me. The mama's boy thing doesn't bother me. Um, I don't know why. Like this movie, if you actually take the time to look at the scenes, this movie is a goddamn mess. Oh, it's a hundred percent a mess. It's all the fuck over the place. Uh, but I, it doesn't bother me, and I can't figure out why it doesn't bother me. It should, it should make me irate, and it does not. I actually quite like it. Um, the kills. This is the most brutal of all of them. Tyler Maine is terrifying. He is the best Michael Myers. Like I like James Jude Courtney quite a lot. The our most current one. I like him quite a lot. I think he's fantastic, especially considering he's playing a much older version of the character. But Tyler Maine, woof. He's fucking scary. He's, like, not just because of his stature, because he's so big, but, like, the amount of intensity he brings to the role is so different compared to anybody else. And, like, I challenge anybody who says, I don't like Rob Zombie's movies because of XYZ reason. Do you... Can you not agree that Tyler Maine is not fucking terrifying in these movies? The fact that Tyler Maine is so big and just a monster of a man. Bigger than any other fucking Michael out there. No, he's over six and a half feet tall. Over he's six. huge. So, on top of that, but it's like, not only is it, is it just because of the size, but one of my favorite things that he is just his presence mm-hmm. of Michael. Because in every movie that we literally have just watched for this whole almost, what, two months or so? Um, it's like every Michael has like this thing where they'll walk in, back straight, and then just kind of like look slowly back and forth. And the one thing that I like for him is that when he gets in there, it still feels more of like just a man, but it's just it's got that that weird essence where it's like he'll do like the head nod and tilt, and it makes I don't know it's it just that little gesture for me just sells it a little bit more, especially like in this uh, where 
the the rainy uh, opening shot where he's walking through the the rain and uh, he goes outside and he's looking oh, in he's the window the in the security booth. He looks in and you can just see where it's just the rain just dripping. I was like, the look looks fucking awesome. I'm with it. Like I and I actually agree with you. It's for me not liking Michael Myers, Rob Zombie and Tyler Maine have made me a Michael Myers fan. Like I like this rendition of Michael Myers. It yeah. makes it for me it makes a little bit more sense. There's more depth to that character. I understand it and on top of that it's actually scary like there is a there is a threat. I actually feel the threat. Mm-hmm. And every other like older like Michael Myers movies, I don't feel that. And John Carpenter's I did when he's the shape you know, hovering Soccer, around doing his yeah. thing. I was like, that is cool. I like that. But it's like when there's that intensity and the just that fierceness and the just the amount of gore and things like that's what I want. And he looks like you can smell him coming before he yeah. gets anywhere near the room. Like this is a man he's living rough. He spent at least depending again, which depending on which version you're looking at, either one year or two years, just Wandering around the countryside. He's disgusting. He's just a, a crazy ass hobo that's killing animals and just eating them raw. Yeah. And what's worse is he went from having a very direct purpose. I need to find my sister. I need to go home. That was his main pull in that first Rob Zombie movie. Is, I want to go home. He's as a kid. He said it multiple times. Mommy, when do I get to go home? I and he even had a full blown temper tantrum about it. Get me out of here! I just want to go home. So when he does go get out, his first objective is I got to get back to Haddonfield. And he literally goes home. Yeah. He. That's where he shows up. That's where the first time. Thank God, that we no one was him. actually living there. Yeah. No. Like he shows up at home, and then that's when. Lori drops the envelope into the mail slot. Like, he's home. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else for him to do. And then all of a sudden, then that's when he, he goes out venturing around Haddonfield. But in this one, he goes from I have a purpose and a mission to rage killing. Like Just any any and everything. Yeah. Like, he was... I guess, from what I can deduce, is that shack we see uh, during the climax of the film, during the standoff with the cops... I think that's where he was living. Yeah. He was living in this shack out in a field in the middle of fucking nowhere. And when those, uh, the two men and the woman show up, um, because one of them keeps seeing Michael coming and going on that land. And I guess it was his land or something or a neighbor's land or whatever. They decided to take matters in their own hands and they go, uh, to deal with it. I think when he got beaten about with the crowbar is when I think he, finally completely just slipped and that was it and i think that's when the rage killing began well yeah a hundred percent i mean when you get hit with the crowbar it's <laughs> all, all bets are off well um, sure um but he but one thing he never did and this is why it was a little out of character was if somebody helped him or just simply didn't bother him he left them alone like the girl of that trio she stopped them and begged her dad and her husband to not to stop beating this poor man. Well, he killed her afterwards. He did. Yeah. 
but that was that was the part where you realize that he's completely gone and never coming back because prior to that he'd have left her alone because she tried to stop them well then there was that that weird little kid too during the the trick-or-treat in the clown costume will you be my friend yeah like are you you're a giant like i was like what a cute little kid but but michael just kind of just stared down at him and he's just like just let him be and i'm like that's terrifying like just to see that image like will you be my friend i'm like boy and his sister coming up going, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah stranger danger, we should go. Yeah, we should go. <laughs> it's not a, not a good thing. Um, and then Michael just keeps walking along, that doesn't bother anybody, and it's just the, 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 is what it is. There but, was one part of his character that did bother me the first time we saw this movie, though. Yeah? It was the grunting and the fact that he spoke. It bothered me the, when we saw it in theaters the first time. Since then, subsequent viewings, it doesn't bother me anymore. That was one of my favorite things about the movie. I think it was because at the time when this movie came out, I was a bit more of a purist. I was a bit more like... You were a neckbeard. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit more of uh, the sacred cow thing. Um, clearly, it's been 13 years since this movie came out, so... Oh, Jesus, it's been 13 years since this movie mm-hmm. came out. That's a big realization. Um, but I've loosened up about it a lot, and, and now I have very virtually zero there's only a couple that i hold is like the sacred cows um that i'm like can we just not touch these that would be great um but i've come to relax on the halloween stuff simply because especially on this most recent rewatch of everything i realize how much garbage is in this series that i'm just like you know what anger grunting i'm gonna let that one slide the the thing that that I loved about it, um, and, it and the same thing with the Deborah Myers ghost, um, all that. It's weird. Well, that was it was weird, but at the same time, it's like it made sense to me because he was shot in the head. So there's some type like it, it like just you know made him start to hallucinate or because he didn't get medical attention. No, he's just surviving, and he and just, he, he somehow survived. He did, he got grazed like with a gunshot. Yeah, but somehow he took a, a basically took a bullet to the head, so he can't be quite right. Even if it just grazed him, there's got to be some kind of infection or something going on in there that has kind of knocked him more off the rocker. Yeah, and and because he was very attached to his mom, and now he's seeing the white ghost. It's just like I was like that actually kind of worked for me, and and on top of that, it made it sense because it's like okay, well, technically the quote unquote well, or I guess the ghost or however you want to whatever's controlling Michael has now made itself present, and it's guiding him. So that's how he knows where Brackett's house is, and he knows where Lori's living. He knows where all this, where everything is. Like, there's... It, that is probably the most outlandish thing in this movie, but at the same... For him to be like, oh, I'm just gonna follow this ghost. But then it's like, when Lori, she gets captured by Michael, puts in the shack, and then she's being held down by little Michael. She's having it's the same... The vision. It became a folly ado at that point. Yeah. They were both having the same uh, psychosis. And there were hints... This part did kind of bother me, though. There were hints that there was some mental connection between the two, sprinkled in throughout the film. Um, 
Well, there's like the one scene where they're eating pizza, and then Michael starts eating the dog. Yeah, and Lori's she starts throwing up. Sick, yeah. and so it's made to look almost like maybe she's a vegetarian. So it makes it because it was a half and half pizza. You could you could say that potentially some brackets meat got on her side and it it bothered her stomach, right? But because that's not the first instance of the psychic connection thing we got, I was like, they're both eating at the same time. What a weird dink. That was a little... Uh, that was a little much. Uh, not a fan of that one so much. And then um, there was the... She had had the... Oh, the part where she's hallucinating that she was living the scene with Michael and Ronnie from yeah. the first movie. In the duct tape? With the duct tape, which she was not a part of. She never saw it. She wouldn't have known. Yeah. So, I was like, okay, so that's the first hint that there's a potential mental connection there. And it gets a bit stronger as the movie goes on, all the way to the point where she's finally able to see Deborah and little Michael and the white horse and the whole bit. And then, um, depending on which version of the film you got... It either looked like she had completely cracked, or she had died and gone to purgatory at that point. It just depends on which version of the film you saw. Um, the psychic connection thing, I've never liked. Like, in part five with Jamie and Michael having that weird psychic connection. I was like, this is dumb. I still think it's dumb. Yeah, it's, I'm not it's a, a fan. Very, it's a very goofy part of this. Now, it's like, with the theatrical version of this... Um, I like the theatrical ending better than I did the director's ending. Mainly because where you're doing the whole thing of Loomis doing his best season of the witch, stop it, trying to you know turn off the, the TV rant um, <laughs> at the end, telling Lori to just chill out, and then all of a sudden Michael snaps, and then all you hear is just the, the knife stabbing of Loomis. And he murders the shit out of Loomis. Yeah. So he finally, you know, puts the the nail in that. But then all of a sudden, he ends up... Oh, oh, Brackett gets a shot off. He finally gets a, a, a good, clean shot, hits Michael in the neck, and then all of a sudden, Michael goes down and uh, gets impaled on a bunch of, like, farm tools, or just, you know, metal bars and stuff like that. And so Michael is down. And then that's when Lori goes over to him. And she, out of nowhere, then becomes this thing of like, oh, I, like, I, I love you, brother. And tries to have that connection with him. It's kind of, it's a little off. But because it's, it's so... It is off. Because what would be the purpose of the I love you part? Yeah, it's like, there, there is no love. You haven't loved him at all. Like, you've been you don't know hating him. him well, and, not, and, I don't. I don't think she even hated him. I think she was just the fear. Well, she was she, she hated the fear of it, and it was just like it. It tore her life apart. So it's like for him, or for her to kind of now like accept him, and then he, even at that time he like raised up the knife to, to stab her again, but he didn't have the the energy to it. Um, and then she picks up the knife and then stabs the shit out of him. Yeah, kills him off, and then walks out of the shack with his mask on kneels down, takes it off, and then they cut to her in a white room and they do the, the creepy Joker smile and then we see Mama uh, Myers with the white horse 
And it kind of, like, implies that maybe she is now taking on the moniker. And, like, she's taken on that role of whatever Michael was had going on. Director's Cut is kind of the same thing. Loomis doing the, the stop thing, and then all of a sudden, Michael having enough of Loomis's shit, and then... It gets real quiet, and then all of a sudden, Michael bursts through the side of the the shack without his mask, yeah. and then scream, uh, then screams "Die" to Loomis. The first time Michael has said anything in years, yeah. And it's the delivery of it. What it felt very, eh. Wasn't the best. Is it flat? It was. It was a little flat, and it was just boom, die, stabs him, and then all of a sudden, he just gets riddled with bullets, and it's very uh, devil's rejects because they went down in a hell of gun gunfire, and it was slow mo and all that stuff. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why the theatrical cut was not that because it is a very devil's rejects something um, by just taking out. Michael and Michael having killed Loomis to the point where his brain is sticking out of his skull. That's how bad he beat his beat. Yeah. Bashed his head in. Oh, I'm not going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to bash your brains in. And he did. Um, <laughs> but Lori lived and she came out of that shack wearing the mask, which was kind of creepy in one context, but also kind of silly in another because that mask was fucking huge and scout taylor compton is five foot three yeah so it's taking up like it was cartoonishly large on her body i'm like that's unnecessary um but she lived they which seeing her uh at the close of the movie where she's on the hospital bed and love hurts is playing and oh no no well again it depends on which version of the movie you're seeing Mm -hmm. the theatrical version you're hearing the halloween theme start um in the director's cut you hear love hurts start playing and um but both of them have her mom coming down the hallway it's just the director's version kills Lori off which is rob zombie going I dare you to fucking ask me to well, make another one. Well, I, like that's the thing is, I don't think he, they actually killed her. I think they hit her in the in the shoulder and like took her down. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it actually killed her because that's where in the the white room, mm-hmm. it's like you could maybe make that as a maybe she did die and that was purgatory or whatever you want to call it, or yeah. she was just in a in an asylum and couldn't handle like you know coming back from being shot and everything else but it's just like the the endings for these were it's a little it's weird and it feels a little clunky because it's like well how do we end this it's like do we kill off do we kill everybody everybody like just and just end the whole thing but or do we have some people survive it's it's like what do we do but um i act i think that it's okay for what they did but it was just the i i like the theatrical better the theatrical works a little bit more for me, just uh, with a few things taken out of it. Um, but I mean, like, what uh, you want to give your skull rating on this? You got anything else you want to talk about? Um, or you good to go? How did you feel Ooh, about? Got more. All right. Just a question. Okay. Because it's a mixed bag of nuts on this one, as far as like general fan consensus goes. But how did you feel about the Deborah Myers insert with the horse and everything else? Like, for me personally, it didn't. 
bother me much one way or the other because um, all it did was just show how far Michael had slid. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like after the the gunshot to the head um, from the first uh, movie, I was like, I was out. I thought it was fine. Okay. I mean, it was the. I, I thought it was fine for as weird as it was. If they just decided, just like, oh, we're just going to throw Deborah Myers in with no real kind of quote unquote finger wiggles explanation as to why she's there or like what she's doing, because she went from in the first movie being a very loving mother and very troubled person to in this film kind of sinister. Oh yeah, she's literally the angel of death. Like it's mm-hmm. she's, and Michael is the is the vessel. It's the the thing that's that's carrying out all that. And we forgot to talk about one other thing. Yeah, Brad Dorf again, Annie's death, <sighs> heartbreaker. We actually forgot to mention it during our rankings, and I hated myself. Yeah, um, so I'm not gonna let this episode skate by without yes, talking about please, probably. Thank you. The movie stealer. This scene was the thief of the entire fucking film. The only reason why I actually will enjoy the director's cut more than theatrical is because we get more of the scene. It's. It. it took four films, but Daniel Harris finally got it. He finally got her. Um, when Lori finds her on the ground, bloody and cut up, she's still alive. So, as an audience, you're thinking, well, she did it once, maybe she can pull through this again. Annie dies in Lori's arms. In the meantime, Maya's calling 911. Michael's already in the house at that point because he had run Annie down like a fucking deer with an F-150. And it wasn't like he, it was like, oh, you just cut her up. Like, I mean, that whole bathroom is just so much blood. Covered in blood. Yeah. Like, he tortured that poor girl. Mm-hmm. And that is, and, and on top of, all the broken furniture like that's around well, the bathroom. Yeah, he had and, to run her. She tried to get away. Yeah. So he had to run her down first. And then, um, so the call comes in. One of the office, one of the deputies runs out, brackets out on the balcony, smoking a butt. And um, she goes, hey, there's a 911 call. Well, did you dispatch anybody? Yes, we did. Then what's, why are, why are you bothering me with this? Because it's a typical, you know, it's a typical thing. Yeah. She goes, because it's your house. And just, it took a second, but as soon as that realization hit, you could see the shift. Brad Dorf does so much with his face once that realization of, oh, fuck, Michael found them. Like, he had, it was all, it just, it took a second to sink in, but once it did, you saw just this determination, like, I need to get home now. And that whole thing when he actually arrives at his home and one of his deputies is like, like sheriff, you don't need to go see it. You don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. And he's trying, and and he's just like, the, where is she? And he's like, he's like he's wanting to, to rip this guy's face off if he does not get out of his way. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that intensity that he's bringing is just the, it, it's crushing. Yeah. And it's like I dare anybody to not not that's, tear up at that scene because that's his baby. That's his only child, and she survived it once. And that okay. We survived this big trauma, but we're going to keep soldiering on. And he managed okay. And up until that point, he was very sweet. He was very loving. He was very even keeled. He was a very chill dude. And then to see that shift in character from being Mr. Like affable, just relaxed, to murderous, homicidal, 
I'm going to burn the city to the ground rage he tapped into was incredible. And then just that moan, that oh Annie moan he gave as he drops to the fucking floor. And like, ah, ah, it hurts me. So I I will say this a hundred percent. My all time favorite, favorite line out of all of Halloween is Buster Rhymes with the trick or treat motherfucker. Uh-huh. I will fight anybody to say that that is not the best line <laughs> because it's trick or treat motherfucker and then fucking kung fu on Michael. You can't get any better. I'm sorry. Sure. However, that that's just me joking. I do love that scene. It's it's one of my it, favorites. It's ridiculous. And because I don't, again, I don't really like a whole lot of Halloween. And it's like if I'm finding something I enjoy, I'm, I'm fucking in it. But Brad Dorif in this scene, in this role, is my all-time favorite character of any Halloween series. Yep. From front to back, from all the stuff with, uh, from the Halloween, the, the, all the new stuff, the 18 and ends and kills and all that stuff. This bracket is my absolute favorite, and it's because of what we were saying before, where it's the knowledge of what he did. And the burdens he's the had to carry bur- for like, all this time. All of that. And the fact that now they, they, like his little girl is now gone, and now this girl that – the whole thing, it's just the crippling knowledge that he is he, – he has – there is a, a, a partial – you know, like he—he's he's to blame. A part, he, he to might, a degree. He, I mean, he might shoulder a little bit of that blame, but I think it's the realization that he did everything humanly possible to prevent this very thing from happening, and it still happened. The helplessness of knowing that you took the appropriate steps. You did everything that you thought was going to be the correct way of doing things. You admitted the kid from the report. You sent her away, like, a couple of hours away from Haddonfield. Like, you drove her out of town. She came back. You Okay, we're going to keep an eye on her, make sure everything is okay. Everything seems to be on the up and up. That night happens. Michael comes back. You think it's, okay, it happened. Now it's over. You're trying to, you, you, he lived on the, on the outskirts of town specifically for that reason. Like the girl, he and the girls picked up and moved to like the edge of Haddonfield, almost in the woods to be away from all of that. And he just, it, it be, it was for nothing. It was an exercise in futility and his daughter died because of it. And again, depending on which version of the film, he ended up losing Lori too. That has to be crippling. It's like I couldn't protect anybody from anything. Yeah. What was I doing? The helplessness and the hopelessness you have to feel, and in that one scene when Brackett found Annie dead on the floor, it all just came pouring out. And then again, during the standoff with Michael at the shack, when Loomis shows up and he's like, "How can I help?" and and uh, Brackett knocks him to the ground, puts a gun to his head. And he's like, I want to shoot him so bad. And he has a deputy going, no, 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 we're not doing this today. Like, trying to yank him off Loomis. And, like, Brackett is done. He is so, so done. Everybody he loves is dead. 
Yeah, and what do I do? Yeah, it's that man. It's he's a legend. I absolutely, he's one of my all-time favorites. I absolutely love Brad Dory, all the stuff that he does with Child's Play, every, like just Cuckoo's a, Nest. Cuckoo's he, Nest. He was in his twenties when he did Cuckoo's Nest. Oh my god! Like I really love young. Brad Dory's movies, and it's such an underrated. I, like he, it's one of those like he's, he's an like character actor. He's, he's up there, but it's just one of those like. It's like well, he's gonna give that guy so much more credit than he's, what he's what he deserves. He's a chameleon too. He just disappears yeah. into whatever the role is that he's doing. He's amazing. I like, absolutely love. You Brad see Dory. him pop up on screen. You're like, hey! And then uh, within minutes after that, he completely disappears. And like, I didn't know that was him in Lord of the Rings for fucking ever. Are you serious? As Wormwood. Oh my god! Was Wormwood was the character's name? I believe uh, it was some something along those. It was Worm something. Yeah, um, I haven't seen Lord of the Rings in forever, so I have to rewatch. But I but, but no, I know the he character. Was the, yeah. He was the hand of the king, and they shaved his eyebrows off, and he shaved his face, and he had the black hair, and like forever, I didn't know that was him. He put the accent on. He did the whole bit. Oh, he's fantastic! But he looked so sickly and scraggly in that role. I didn't know who it was. Why then, do you bother the king with these? frivolous thing. And then years <laughs> later I see it I see it again and I'm like hang on a second. I know that guy. <laughs> but when I was younger I had no clue because he com- again completely disappeared into the role. Yeah. I mean he's 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 such a fantastic actor where it's just he, you could put him in especially in this day and age too where it's just he still works. It and it fits in all His the roles. His voice has some power to it's it. It's so good. He's a fantastic actor. I, I, I have... I can't say anything more good about Brad Dorff because he's just... It's 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 just there. And it's just look, watch the goddamn movie and that's the reason. He is my favorite character out of all of Halloween. Yeah. His version of Bracket is... And it's such a strange thing too because the, the Bracket character in... Carpenter's original film was such a small role. He was basically Loomis's chauffeur. Yeah. That's kind of the role he filled. And then in part two, he finds out Annie is dead, decides he needs to tell his wife before anyone else does, and then he's gone. Yeah, you don't see him. He just fucks off, and we never see him again. It's not until Halloween kills when he shows back up. Bra- oh yeah, 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 yeah! Because he was retired. The original bracket shows back up, and he's he's there again. He's part of the mob, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fucking, uh, fucking. What's his name? Uh, Anthony Michael. Anthony Hall. Michael Hall. And Tommy Doyle. Tommy. <laughs> like we got to rally everything. He's around here. It's like Jesus Christ, man. Well, the only reason why to even we'll we'll get to Halloween Kills in a couple yeah. of weeks. But the only reason why we even got Anthony Michael Hall in that was because. Paul Rudd wasn't available. He was busy, and they could not find the original actor who played Tommy Doyle. Like he stopped acting shortly after that. So they were like, "We don't know where he." They couldn't find him. He's not on social media. He's not. He's kind of a complete non-entity off the grid. Good for you, man. Like good for you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was kind of nice to see that. But like, yeah, no. I I think this version of Bracket. Having was having been such a small part to begin with, the way that Zombie expanded on it, especially because he knew what he had when he cast Dorif in the role. Like, how can you not know what you've got? Yeah, you've got fucking Chucky on your cast. Like, D- 
do something with that. Yeah. And that's the thing is, uh, the, the, one of the reasons why it's like the bracket characters, it, or we are, or I'm not going to re going, but it's like all the stuff that we just mentioned where it's the knowledge of what he's gone through for years. And it's like just when you have a character like that and you can step back and go, oh shit, that's what he's been going through. That's deeper than most of any of the other characters on the, on the so- story. Yeah, and he's very quiet. He's very soft spoken. Very chill. So yeah, and uh, it's yeah, and it's yeah. unassuming because like as a as an audience member and you're watching it, you have, like I said, you have to stop and step back and you go, oh shit. Yeah, like that's a lot. It's, it's a, not on the surface, and not and because everyone's so focused on Lori and Michael that it's like you forget that Brackett had more deep shit. He had than any deep, of them. Yeah, and actually. That's one of the praises I have to sing about both of these movies, both of Zombies Halloween films, is he trusted his audience. He didn't hold your hand at all. He doesn't give a shit. (laughs) Any of this. No, he trusted the audience to know. He trusted the audience to pick up on Michael's dysphoria in the first film. With the masks. Oh, he, no, that's what I mean. It's like, but he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't like, oh, I gotta, like, try and give, like, some type of weird expedition, like, no. throughout the beginning of the movie, so that you understand exactly what's happening throughout no. all of the movies. He, None of that. He dropped the breadcrumbs, and it was up to us as the audience to pick up on what he was putting down. So the dysphoria with Michael and the masks, that was, he wasn't spoon-fed to us. You had to extrapolate that out and it was literally one comment the mask hides my ugliness mm-hmm. you're baby you're not ugly well mom he doesn't mean ugly in the face <laughs> he yeah. means the ugly side of his personality like the mask was there to hide that part of him in this one with the weird psychosis thing with this one like picking that up and he went with the white horse motif which was this chasing of innocence thing um that ran through all of Halloween Part 2. I know that Rob Zombie gets a rap because of his aesthetic with the dirty grindhouse, white trash, 70s kind of thing, but, like, he did something with these two movies in particular that's really smart. Like, he's an intelligent dude, and you can tell he built that into these scripts. And there are some layers here the bracket character like we just got talking about yeah that's another one on the surface you're not gonna see any of that you're not gonna see like okay and on the surface michael's a psycho killer well yeah and he painted him as your textbook serial killer he fills out all the rubric correctly blah 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 but the extra stuff that's in there it it that maybe that touch of Oedipus complex, the whole thing with the dysphoria, the having to deal with the watching Annie and and having yeah all that stuff and having, but he also had this strange fixation on loyalty, and a lot of in that first film, the driver was these disloyal people and those that set out specifically to hurt him, like that was a very clear cut thing. And to some degree, it was sillier than others. Like, did Doug have to die? No. Like, the poor bugger. But because he's the reason why his sister couldn't take him trick-or-treating, he kind of, as petty a reason as it was, this is Michael starting on that journey Mm -hmm. of 
becoming the shape. Um, so, these movies are very intelligent. Halloween 2 is a bit of a mess. You do have to be able to, like, kind of pull back and get a bit more of the 30,000-foot view of the film. Because um, if you're looking at it on a micro level, you're like, the fuck is actually happening here? But I feel like, like you said, the pull back a little bit, you really get a better idea of what's going on in these movies. And um, especially where, like, because so much of the focus of Halloween 2 was on Lori, this was really her story, which we've never really gotten before. Like, Other than age 20. Age 20 a bit. Because she talked about faking her death to get away from Haddonfield and to hide in case Michael came back and that whole bit. Um, That, we got a taste of that. But this one we got to see in real time. Somebody who was started out as trying to pull their life back together and then very quickly exploded it. Yeah. Um, went completely off the rails and some and you got to see and it seemed over the top but that's the route that a lot of people take and that's how they spiral into addiction is they're just like nope this is too painful have to numb it and then the self-medication starts that's why it started out with the prescription pills and um when her therapist said, no, I'm not going to write you another prescription because I've written you enough that should have lasted you for the next couple of months. Like, she saw, Margot Kidder's character, saw that Lori was having a problem, and she said, she told her no. So she's like, all right, well, no benzos, I'm turning to booze. And that's where she ended up going. Um, Lori had a full-blown meltdown because, oh my God, just give me my pills because I want to be able to sleep. I want to be able to function. I want to be able to have my normal life. And that wasn't going to happen. And actually, it was really funny because when um, Barbara, the therapist, said, have you been doing your breathing exercises? I was watching it with Curtis, who's ex-military. He did 15 years in the Army. And uh, she said, have you been doing your breathing exercises? He starts laughing because he's dealt with the VA and he's dealt with military therapists and stuff like that. And he's like, oh my God, does she work for the United States military? Because that's literally what they do. It's like, oh, you have a sucking chest wound? Here, take some Tylenol. He's like, that's the kind of care you get in the military. So he started laughing when he heard that line. He's like, breathing exercises? Are you serious right now? So he thought that was particularly funny. Um, But she changed, she switched from, well, if I can't get my prescription, I'm going to get this by other means. So she started drinking instead. And the partying and blah, blah, blah. So that became like a whole thing. So you got to watch in real time the creation of an addict as well. Yeah. And so I like the the delivery of Lori. It's just I I like the theatrical version where she felt a little bit more closer to what her character was in the first film. She was a little bit more sympathetic too. Exactly. And with her and the director's cut where it was just everything made her angry. She was just a nasty person. Um, Just a big old bitch. Like that's just... She was harder to swallow when both of those people exist in real life. Both of those trauma survivors exist. Oh, I'm not not saying that it's not a bad thing. It was just, it was a harder thing to... 
harder to, to deal with. To, to deal with or to actually like or to be behind. Like, for me, I was like, I'm going to follow Annie. Like, because I want to know what the fuck Annie's going through. Because I was like, that's a, another hard life. And even Annie was just like, I'm done with your bullshit. It's like, you're not the only one that dealt with anything. And so you Jeez. just, like, you're just being selfish on this and not caring about what other people other like uh, that's around you that's dealing with this it's like because annie went through it too and she has a point and she has a right to say that because it's like look nobody's taking care of me and i went through the exact same thing that night the difference is that when you're so wrapped up in your trauma like that it becomes a security blanket for a lot of people and they can't see a way out of it so the, they focus so much on themselves and they're so in their own heads and they become I don't want to say self-righteous about it but it's just that's the priority is they're so in their own heads and that's all they have the ability to focus on Yeah, nobody else yeah. exists I'm not saying that she didn't have any right to not feel that way but it was just the whole thing of I could just I could see it from Annie's point where I'm like because this girl Lori's just being nasty over every goddamn little thing and then turn around and it's just like like what the fuck is Annie going through mm-hmm. and it's I mean I get that Lori in this movie is having more of the the crazy supernatural psychosis stuff going on but it was just the it's like there's stuff that like Annie had to deal with Annie went through the exact same night what do you think Annie like every time Annie looks in the mirror Every time Annie looks across the table at Lori, every time, like, just the the fact that they are now, they've brought Lori in to live with them Mm -hmm. because of this situation, because her family, like, there's all that stuff that's like Annie's got to deal with. And it's like, that's, that's a really hard thing to, to deal with. And it's. And then poor Annie was the one who had to die. Yeah. She had to relive it a second time. Which is an awesome scene, too, where she shuts the, the window and they do that whole... Oh, the mirror. The mirror thing that, like, from uh, American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. But that makes me wonder if maybe Annie wasn't having the occasional hallucination or bad dream, too. Yeah. Because she... You could see that she recognized it was Michael, but she couldn't decide if it was real or not right away. Until she turned around and saw the body standing there. Like, it makes me wonder if she hadn't been having... Maybe not as bad as Lori, but somehow she had to have been going through something similar. Yeah, she felt a little bit more grounded, Mm -hmm. but it was more of a... Annie dealt with it by shutting down, and you could tell. Yeah, And, and she got very mama bear. Mm-hmm. With everybody, I mean the well, one that, of the she, one of the deputies that came over to the house just to watch, always just to, to sit out and watch. It's all he was supposed to be there to do, and she gave him a ration of shit. She, I guess the the deputy was like, "Yeah, the last time I I went over there, she kicked me in the nuts." I'm like, like she don't give a fuck, and it's just like, but that's where like she gets mama bear quick, and she doesn't play I that. I think for her. While Lori was spinning out of control, Annie was desperate to keep control. Yeah. Because it was stripped from her that night. So for her, 
She's bossing her dad around. She's trying to make sure he stays healthy because she doesn't want him to die because he's getting older. She tries to mama bear Lori a little bit and just try to be the voice of reason. So, like, for Annie, it looks more like she's trying to... She's struggling to control everything in her life. Yeah. Because she had that stripped away. Yeah. So there was she was actually a nice contrast to Lori, who was spiraling out of control and Annie was like, no, 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 hyper vigilant. Mm, we're very rigid. Yeah. We have our routine. We have our things we have to do. Like that was more what Annie was doing. That was her way of dealing with what she went through. Yeah. So my skull rating on this bad boy, um, this was a 3.5. Um, a lot of it had to do with just the absolute fucking brutality of this thing. Um, I think that's one thing that Rob Zombie is quite good at is bringing the murder porn, the carnage candy, whatever you want to call it. Um, We got to see a bouncer have his head stomped in. And then he was hung up from a cord in a doorway with his mushy pumpkin face. More fucking, like, uh, expert decorator. Yeah. (laughs) Thankfully, though, Rob Zombie minimized that. Like, he was not Queer Eye for the Dead guy. He just kind of just left things there. He just, like, he would kill somebody at that spot and just leave them there. And then somehow... This, yeah, yeah this version of Michael Myers him. was much more of, like, our eight-year-old. He'll play with something and then just drop it yeah. and move on to the next thing. But it's more like that, like a kid, than what he was doing before where he's like... So I'm going to set you up in this closet, and then you I'm going to pin to the wall. And then, Although he did do the pin to the wall gag in uh, the first Halloween film. Yeah, um, well, the, you'd have to if you didn't. Fans would fucking riot. But. Those are the things about the, the first Zombies Halloween movie that I did not like was all the fan-winky shit. I was like, this is unnecessary. Um, that's part of the reason why I got a kick out of the hospital scene being a dream in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was like, oh, ain't that a kick in the teeth? Um because I'm nothing if not appreciative of troll behavior. Uh, I'm fine with it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the, he brought the brutality. The The mask, the mask was so fucking cool. Um, Rob Zombie fixed it. Like, in the first film, he made the mask look good again. Which had been seriously lacking for nearly 30 years at that point. Like, it hadn't looked good since part two. Um... And in this one, it's that much more aged. It's that much more cracked and beat up. And the eye holes are ripped up. And you can see where the latex is dried out and starting to crack and break break down. The part where Lori grazed him when she shot and it broke them through the mask and grazed his head. Like, it was burnt up from the gunpowder. And the scene where he's chasing the stripper down at the Red Rabbit... She grabs a piece of the mask and rips it off. So there's a portion of his face that's now exposed. And um, a lot of that looked expressive because of Tyler Maine's eyes. Like, his eyes are so expressive. Especially because he's like, I'm wearing a mask and I can't talk. How do I make this work? Like, as an actor, you have to go, uh, thanks for the handcuffs, guys. Um, But he made all that whole thing work. It was dirty. Um, The hair was getting all stringy. I'm just getting dragged around the woods the whole time. So um, the mask was super cool. The special effects looked really good. The makeup looked fantastic. Um, 
Well, the story, like, the actual script was fairly weak in terms of, like, the storytelling part. There were enough elements present to pump it up enough that I... If you're just kind of watching this on a surface level, you're not... It's probably not going to phase you much. Um, but the story is kind of a mess. Um, it's just so all over the place. And uh, it's a bit chaotic. Which, if you like that sort of thing, this is going to be perfect. It's right up your alley. But if you're more, I want that straight line storytelling thing, it's going to be rough. It's a rough watch for sure. Um, overall, though, this movie is super enjoyable. I love the weird. Um, I'm perfectly happy with all of the weird. Um, so, um, yeah, a three and a half for me. Like, it's not perfect by any means, but I have no issues with watching this one again. What about you? Um, I'm actually in the same boat. 3.5. Nice. Yeah. Um, finally, we like something! <gasps> oh my god. I like the first zombie halloween no but i'm saying it's like after weeks and weeks of us just bitching and moaning it's like i actually like something um i told you i'd get to that point guys but uh for me rob zombies halloween one is as i mentioned before it's the movie that actually made me understand and like the michael myers character Mm -hmm. For years, I never liked him. It was just, it was always bad. The whole fucking thing with the goddamn eyes, continuity, all that shit drove me bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Rob Zombie got his hands on it, it filled in so many holes that I had questions for or I had problems with. Mm-hmm. Yes, is it the absolute perfect film? No. But it made me happy where I'm like, this is, now I understand this is like Tyler Maine is my Michael mm-hmm. like out of 100% like he is my Michael I absolutely love everything that he does as far as just the the mo- movement just the head gestures uh, just his size and as you said just how fierce and ferocious he is mm-hmm. um, and just the gruesome kills in this movie was great as you mentioned the uh, um the um, the doorman at the the Red Rabbit uh, who got his face smashed in mm-hmm. that scene was incredible just because like you could have just been like oh I'm gonna stomp it once but it's like no Michael just kept going he didn't he just didn't stop and then until it was just a, a complete flat pancake um, and then one of the other scenes that I thought was crazy was so when he goes to kill the the bar owner and the the stripper yeah. So, oh, funny note, too, if you guys aren't aware of it, the guy who was the doorman <laughs> is now Herman Munster in the new Rob Zombie uh, yep. Netflix special. And the strip club owner, he is going to be Grandpa <laughs> in the Munsters, the, the vampire. So I was like, I was like, that's kind of funny. I mean... I'm interested to see it. I am a huge Munsters fan, so my expectations are... I'm going to try and have fun with it, but I know it's going to be a lot of silly. Um, so it's just, you can't... Yep. It's, I, I need that classic Herman Munster in my life. Um, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still interested with the uh, the Wednesday 
um, in the Adams Family stuff. Uh, I think a couple of episodes ago, I had to give you complete props because you were completely right. Uh, what's his name? The dude that's doing Gomez. Luis Gomez. Yeah. Uh, Luis uh, Guzman. Yeah, Luis. Like, I mean, I was like, you know what? 100% I'm with him. I saw a picture from, like, the old uh, classic cartoon. I'm like, holy shit, you're right. He's perfect. Like, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit what anybody else says. Like, he's he's perfect. So I'm I'm with it. Um, but yeah, no, like, I'm I'm with this movie a hundred percent. Three point five. The gore. Oh, that's what I was saying. Was the kill in the Red Rabbit? The other um, scene where he just went fucking ham, where he's smashing that stripper's face into the the glass. Yeah. And he continues. He just keeps he on smashing. Dead. And just when they pull it back and you can see all the glass in her face and it's just, it's really unsettling. It's really, um, it it puts a whole nother level to where Michael would just kill and then that was it. Like it was just one act and then move on. This was just like, I'm just going to keep going. Or in the, um, the hospital scene where he's just going to town and you can hear the grunting. That was one of my favorite parts about this new, or this uh, for Halloween too, where he's grunting, it's kind of letting out just so much anger, and that's the anger that fucking Loomis has been talking about for years. Yeah, I know. And it's like, so now it's actually coming out, and instead of it just being as a silent deaf mute, it's like when you're thrusting like that, there's no way that you're not going to give some type of. <clears throat> Like there's oh yeah, there's power. In there's there. nothing. He really because those are the sounds you make when you're trying to pump out those last couple of reps on like yeah, you're you know you've added a few pounds to the weight bar. Um, so yeah, that's the, those are the sounds you make when you're trying to put that last burst of effort into something. So he's driving that fucker in deep. And I mean, and like in Halloween one, when uh, with Joe Grizzly, and he's you know smashing him through the fucking. Yep. Uh, you know, the bathroom stalls and stuff like that. It just keeps on going. It's just, it's really, uh, like, I like that intensity and that's the Michael that I want. Mm -hmm. And so now with Halloween 2018 and and going forward, I'm getting that too. Like, that's the Michael that I'm like, okay, I understand why people would like Michael because this is what I want. Even though now I still have like the whole thing with, old man Michael and everything like that but it's like he's still fucking awesome like it's it's and that's something where for me to say that I really like that film and during our rankings where we're like oh no Halloween 2018 is our favorite I was like that's that says a lot when I had such uh a disposition about it. It was just it's yeah. Bad. It definitely had a, a thought process. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, I'm I'm with it. Oh, and fucking Sheriff Brackett, Brad Dorif is the gem. He's a legend. Can't get any better than that. So boom, three point five. Beautiful. So yeah. love this movie. It's good. I'll watch it again. Solid three point five. Yep. Yeah. I, every time we've seen it, we've done it without complaint. Like. Yeah. The curse of Michael Myers, both of us are like, can we never do that again? Please, thank you. I mean, like I said, <laughs> I'm the only reason I'm with resurrection is because of Buster Rhymes and, 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 and just yeah it's like and it's something a little different it doesn't follow fucking Laurie and all that other shit it's like that's the only reason why I could I could probably rewatch resurrection again because it's absurd that's about it but this it's like it actually is good I'll watch I like Halloween 1 for Rob Zombie better than Halloween 2 
But I could watch both of them with, like you said, no complaints. Very nice. Good to good. So that wraps it up for Rob Zombie. Uh, Join us next week as we venture into the... What timeline is this? I don't know. This is the... Fourth timeline? Fourth? Yeah. Fourth timeline. Yikes. Uh, In the series with uh, H40... Um, Halloween 2018. So we're getting into the final stretch. We're getting into the current trilogy. So if you liked that, join us next week by subscribing. We'll drop in your favorite podcatcher on Tuesday. Like, share, comment. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, of course. Um, join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher at Creepin' It Real. R-E-E-L as a movie reel. Um, if you have a movie idea or, hell, um, we know our next series is going to be the Romero of the Dead series, but if there's something you want to hear us cover, let us know. Email us at creepinitreal.cm at gmail.com. And with the holidays coming up, and we are shameless whores, please feel free to buy our merch at creepinitreal.redbubble.com or hit the link in the Instagram bio. It'll bring you directly there. And, uh... Wear your creeping shit on the street because, again, horse. Yeah. We love it. And we work too hard to be this broke. <laughs> so, anyway, in the meantime, I have a Mr. Meg. I'm that good buddy Lunchbox. And remember, Slashers and Survivor Girls, it's always one day at a time. Just one day.